We spend far too much time worried about what makes us different than the next person or better than the next person and not enough time thinking about why we should respect the next person. We all have a story, an overarching theme that runs through our lives and makes us who we are. The problem is, we think that since each of our stories is different, there's not a lot of perceived value or shared struggle. But we have far more in common than we can imagine, and what motivates one person can certainly help us as well. The Third Lab Podcast is about understanding, respecting, and appreciating the struggle that it takes to overcome immeasurable odds in order to reach your destiny. Join me as I interview and bond with some of the most inspiring and incredible people, diving into their why to get a full understanding of their being. Without each other, we have nothing. So let's go on this adventure together and take on the future with open minds and open hearts. Welcome to the Third Lap Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. Today, I get a chance to chop it up with the homie. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I get a chance to talk to Aaliyah Rainey, who is a educator, podcaster, basketball enthusiast. She's also a bum-ass Knicks fan, but, you know, I'm going to live because that's the home y'all. I rock with Aaliyah. So, you know, it's not her fault that she like a terrible basketball team. Um, but yeah, man, excited to have Aaliyah on the show today. Aaliyah, what's going on? What what is going on? I mean, I, I don't <laughs> want to start off the, the the show guns of blazes, but I, I've never met your mom, but I'm gonna assume your mom is a very nice woman who raised you right. And I'm coming on your podcast and you act <laughs> in front of your own company. But it is Nick's tape. People don't understand it's been a long, long, long time since my Knicks have been good and I'm gonna celebrate it. You should know as you should know as a Sixers fan. Y'all ain't been y'all, y'all good-ish. You know, it's funny, I shared with Aaliyah before we started. My wife asked me who was gonna be on the show, and I was like, Aaliyah, man, I'm so excited. And she was like, Oh, great, y'all gonna argue about basketball for an hour. So yes, we are <laughs> it, it, intermittently, we probably will for the whole show. Um, and this is what our group like uh so Probably should get into how I know Aaliyah. Yeah, so interestingly enough, I think I knew about you before I met you because when you worked at Uncommon, one of my former teachers and mentors and now friends, Shauna Pyatt, shout out to Pyatt because I'm going to tell her about this. She's going to like geek out over this when I tell her I did a podcast with you. Um, she was like, yo, you should really connect with Malcolm. Like, he's so great, all these things, except he's a Sixers fan. But other than that, he's all right. Like, you should connect with him. So I think I, like, sent you – I think we became, became connected on LinkedIn. Um, so, like, I've, like, known you but never got the opportunity to, to, to meet you. And sort of our circles have crossed with, like, the six degrees of separation and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's all I got to say. He came in blazing when I first started at <laughs> – came in guns of blazing when I first started. I kept talking six is nonsense because I actually had on a Knicks sweater. I had on a Knicks hoodie. We were prepping for an event, and he was like – you were like – I know that's not a Knicks hoodie. And I was like, absolutely, absolutely, and proud. Been had this hoodie when we weren't no, we weren't nowhere close to eighth place in the East, and I've been wearing this hoodie ever since. Shout out to Shauna for real. Where you from, Aaliyah, man? Rep your hood. I'm from Newark, New Jersey, Brick City, Newark, and Essex County, New Jersey. I know you're from New Jersey. I'm from the bricks. I'm from the hood. I'm where it's black. I'm where it's gonna be black, and I'm where everybody gonna die black. And they trying to gentrify, but it's not working because, you know, the hood never sleeps. So born and raised in North New Jersey, um, you know, went to public school 
And then I went to North Star, which is now Uncommon, when I was in the fifth grade. So I was there from fifth to twelve. And then I went to the wonderful, illustrious, and I know people are probably tired of hearing this, but I don't care. Y'all gonna hear about it forever because that's who we are as students. Um, Howard University in Washington, D.C. And I lived there for four years. I wish I could afford to move back, but gentrification is wild. <laughs> wow. But I love D.C. It's like the mix between a perfect city that's not too fast, but it has everything, all the culture, museums, food and people. But it's clean. It's not New York. <laughs> it's not as fast as New York, but it's not as dirty as New York either. And it's not as slow right. as like a southern city. Um, right. So I really, I really like have a special place in my heart for DC forever. Because I like grew up there. I like yeah. grew up and matured in DC. But um, it's Newark all day, every day. One thing you're going to know about me, you're going to know where I'm from. Yo, all day, man. Shout out to the Bricks. Uh, yeah, I, I spent a good portion of my life in South Orange. If anybody knows South Orange, that is not the hood. Right? It is so nice. We was up out the street there. from the hood. Yeah, we was down. So we used to be in the hood all the time because it wasn't nothing to do in South Orange. So we was exactly. always in the bricks. You know what I mean? And uh, it was funny. I was just talking to my mom the other day about the Ironbound and just the Portuguese food that you could get down mm. there. Oh, my mm. God. It's nothing See, like it. Oh, man. Yo, stop talking, man. You Listen, I got to mm. take a trip up to Newark now, man. Yeah, See? man. See? And, I, and you probably... And I wonder, where, do you remember, like, Portuguese restaurants you went to when you were in Newark by name? Because I wonder if you went to, like, the the Spain, like, the Fornos of Spain or the Iberias. I'm wondering which ones you went to. What, yo, damn. She just said the name the other day because my cousin and my mom went to Newark to see my uncle. Um, I'm going to get it back. I'm going to get it back to you. But it's we went to, we used to go to, like, two different ones because, you know, mm-hmm. they do the Parade of Meats, John. And so yeah. the two spots that we went to was always, they was always live. And yeah. it was right there in the hood, but I can't remember off the top. I haven't been. Yeah, it's some good. It was some good ones because like the big ones that everyone go to is usually like Iberia's or Fornos of Spain. But if you go like deeper into the Ironbound, like where the actual people really live, there are like some mom and pops, and everybody knows like when you go visit the mom and pop ones, they're ones that the city is famous for, and they're pretty good. I'm sure like people in Philly can talk about that with like cheese sticks, but like if you go to the ones like really where the people live, where it's not so touristy, you can always find really good stuff there. And that's how I feel about Portuguese food in the Ironbound, because there's this one place called Cambinos. Okay. They have the best sangria. Like, I went to Spain, oh, and low-key, yeah. it might be, the, it might have been better than Spain. But Spain is <laughs> I went to Spain, but it, it was really good. I was surprised at how much the taste tastes, like, similar like to the stuff I had in Spain than I had in Ironbound. So that, I guess you could tell you that's how good it is. Yo, that's what's up. Yeah, man. I mean, we... It's the same thing, like you said, about, like, the steak hoagies and cheesesteaks out here. Like, I always tell people, like, Geno's and Pat's, like, don't go there. You got to go to the hood. Like, you got to get off the beaten path, you know what I mean? We'll look a little shady. The mm-hmm. best actually, the best steak hoagie I ever got in this city was from one of the most trapped out bodegas I've ever been to. My man's brought me there because he's from over there in West Philly. And he brought me, and I was I would have never went in there on my own because I wouldn't even think they made sandwiches. Man, best sandwich I ever had in the city, bro. So, hey. you know. That's but you gotta you gotta know to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, you gotta get on the know. I don't know if you notice know about me. So I like to travel a lot and one of the things that I do is like there are some foods or traditions or items I actually won't touch until I get to the place of origin. So I only recently had Philly cheesesteaks like four years ago. And from like where, where'd you get it from? So I've never been I've never been to Geno's or Pets. Yeah, because people have told me, but like, one, the lines are ridiculous when outside yeah. was open and you could have ridiculous lines. 
But a lot of people have told me it was like, don't go there. So I've been to Ishkabibbles. And then I went to the best one I went to, but it was because of the experience, because it was in the hood. Um, it's in North Philly. It, and I feel like it got like a big name. Like it's a it's a famous one. You've heard it before. I forget. But that one was pretty good. It's like attached to a bar, like an old school bar. <laughs> um, it's like one next to it. So you go in, they uh-huh. cook in the meat. And then next to it, it's like a it's a bar. I feel I got, like I know what you're talking about. I'm a check I definitely know Ishkabibbles. I, I feel like I know what sandwich spot you're talking about. But yeah, man, I mean, when you pull up to the city, next time you out here, like, take you to Allegro's Pizzeria. Um, shout out to Shoshona and Kip West. They always order from Allegro's. Um, that's a great pizza sandwich spot. Take you down the hood, whatever. I mean, it's listen, so many places to go, but Geno's and Pat's is not it. So anybody listening, come to the city, hit me. Like we'll get you a steak, hoagie, cheese steak. We'll get you right, but Geno's and Pat's not it, man. Um, and so you mentioned international traveling, so we still kind of are on the like rep your hood. So where have you been, or where, what are some other places that you've lived um, aside from Newark and DC that were impactful on, on you and your career development? That's a good question. So I've only lived in two states, and that's um, Jersey and DC. Um, if you ask me like where I've traveled that sort of impacted my life, it's like everywhere. So, um, it's funny. I was, when you said like, where have I lived? I thought to back to summer camp. So I am a sleepaway summer camp fanatic. And when I was at North Star, it's funny now, but basically we would get these funders or whoever, you know, wanted to meet their diversity quotas or numbers or whatever. Now I understand what it is, but I took advantage of it for sure. Um, there was this camp called Independent Lake Camp. Um, and they came to the school and I remember they showed us this video and it was still on VCR. That's that It was still VCR a little bit. And it was this camp and it was just a lake and it had all these pictures of like doing these summer camp things, the kind of stuff you've only seen on TV. Like I've only saw this stuff from like camp nowhere on Nickelodeon. I've never seen that from where I was because summer camp in the hood was like, you go to the boys and girls club from eight to three, <laughs> you do some enrichment stuff, but it's like no sleepaway camp, nothing like that. Um, and I remember thinking it was the coolest thing ever. So I went to summer camp and I got a full scholarship um, because the two week sessions were like $4,500, which like now as an adult who can like make money, it's like, it's a lot, but like, it's not a lot. But like my mom who's a single parent, like, we couldn't pay for that. that. We had better use for $4,500. But I went and that was like one of the best experience of experience of my life. Like I had so much fun. It's also where I learned how poor I was. Not because people made me feel bad. I just was looking, I just was like seeing how people were ex- like just their different life experiences and what they had and what I didn't have. And I was like, oh, this is like very different but it was super fun we're like linked up with some other charter school kids from new orleans and we was like <laughs> the hood crew like like i get mean girls they would call us like the black hotties or whatever or get you know that scene where they're going around describing people like mad cool everybody wanted to hang out with us and it was the best time i described it as college without books but i really like got a lot of framing for like how the world is and how the world operates in like a capitalistic sort of society mm-hmm. so orson pennsylvania's independent lake camp that had um a very lot a lot to do with sort of shaping who i was um i've been to i went out the country for the first time when i was 16. i went to argentina again another north star product thing which was like wild but also the best steak i've ever had in my whole life (laughs) is in argentina you want good steak you want good meat argentina is also where i learned that all people who speak spanish are not dominican or puerto rican (laughs) like i learned that because in newark 
or the Northeast, it's like anybody who speaks Spanish for the most part, they're either like Dominican or Puerto Rican. And then I went to yeah. Argentina and I was like, oh, there's such a thing. It's like, you know it. Cause like, you know, Spanish people, they're European, they're whites who just speak Spanish. Right. And Argentina very much has those same kind of vibes where it's like very Euro- European, even though it's in um, South America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been to Argentina. I can't wait to go back. I've been to Greece, which was awesome and very interesting at the same time. Spain, I went a couple years ago. I've been to Jamaica. Um, I really, really love traveling. But I say any and all of the places that I've sort of visited have left like a very impactful thing on my life even from like as a kid going down south for like a couple of weeks in the summer going on spring breaks like traveling is how you experience the world like I wish you know I was probably I would really go so far as to say like college is nice but have you traveled Mm. um because I think you could just learn so much more from just like talking to people and just living life how people live by from even the food folks share and the dialects that people talk is you just learn so much and I think it just sort of frames who I am as like a world citizen um, where yeah. I am trying to go. This is funny enough. Like, and I think it's such an irony. I love Europe so much. <laughs> like I think Europe from a social standpoint, I think Europe is so cool. Like I think the fact that you could be, you can hop from country to country within hours is so amazing and experience a whole different culture. Now I do know it's because I've sort of been indoctrinated and sort of, you know, white education, but it's also something to be said of like when you get to see the things that you learned about in school. So when I went to Greece and I was reading about um, ancient Greece and Zeus and the Parthenon and literally my Airbnb looked over the Parthenon, that was the wildest thing. And I didn't have to spend a lot of money to do it. Like Airbnb was cheap. I think I might've paid $70 a night, but just to be like, this is the stuff I learned about Acropolis. Like I learned about Acropolis and I'm like having lunch, drinking wine in front of Acropolis, which is wild. Um, And then also I like, you know, when I I go to Europe or I go to places where it's not predominantly black and I love seeing people's faces when they see black people in Europe and European countries and they know we're not African. I love like <laughs> throwing people off. Like they're just like, mm, y'all like y'all are American. It's like, yes, we are American. I'm American. The first, when I went to Argentina and I went to the club and I was like at 16 and you know, people go to the club, like it's nothing. And, um, in other countries, this man walked up to me and asked me, was I Missy Elliott? <laughs> and I was like, you know I'm not Missy Elliott, but I, like, understand that he, this, Missy Elliott was hot, like, super hot then, to, and, and hot in the game, so I'm wondering if he's just like, here's this black lady who looks urban, must be Missy Elliott. Um, but, yeah, traveling is banging. Like, I can't wait to go back to Europe. I do want to go to Egypt before the pyramids crumble. Um, as part of my grad school program, we were supposed to go to China last May. But coronavirus, we were supposed to go to um, Shanghai and Hong Kong. Um, And I never was really big or pressed to go to, like, China um, or anything like that. If I was going to go to some Asian countries, I'd be interested in, like, Thailand and stuff. But I got excited to go to China because I was like, it's paid for, so might as well. Um, And I didn't get to go. So I actually kind of think that I do want to go to, like, Hong Kong or Shanghai um, one day just because it was so close. Um, and it's sort of been taken away from me. And then, you know, I just love the Caribbean too, because who doesn't love going to the Caribbean? And there's so much history in the Caribbean, um, which like, and I love how people in the Caribbean love to tell you so much about the history. I actually love how any country I've been to, 
loves to tell you so much about their history. And you go to Spain, the Spanish love to tell you about everything, whether it was wrong or not. Like they love, I don't love Christopher Columbus, but like I can appreciate how they are like, this is part of our history. Like, and we're going to tell you about Christopher Columbus. Um, same thing when I, you know, go to Jamaica and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's just very interesting. I like to learn and like to talk about pe talk to people. And I think traveling really helps me sort of fill my toolbox with cultural experiences. Yeah, I think it's it's a hugely underrated part of like the cultural competence component, right? Um, and you mentioned all of the places that you've been and how each of them have had like an impact on you. Yeah, I definitely want to go to Greece. Um, I think that like as I've learned more and more about how like the Greeks stole a lot of their knowledge and, and information from the Egyptians, that sort yep. of the luster of Greece has definitely decreased. Um, but it's still a historic landmark, right? Like it's still places there, like you said. Like, I, I really want to go to the, I want to see the Coliseum, yo. You know what I mean? Like, I always was fascinated with gladiators and, and, and locking in and, you know, that whole aspect of, of entertainment, quote unquote. And so you talked about a lot of dope places, talked about how these places have had somewhat of an impact on you. You really mentioned Sleepaway Camp, um, which I've been to. My mom made sure that I had those opportunities definitely was that we went through the ymca it was out in pa too with mm -hmm. my two little cousins and yeah it's, it's dope man you know got a chance to see things and experience things that living in the city you usually just don't or, or can't definitely more of our kids living in urban environments need to experience those things um fresh air fund is is awesome for that work because they're giving mm -hmm. those opportunities to kids that otherwise may not have that opportunity or may not have that chance and so much love to the Fresh Air Fund. Much love to anyone that, you know, is volunteering their time or, you know, I was a camp counselor for a summer. It's a dope chance to just give back outside of just, you know, more traditional aspects of education. But Aaliyah, let's let's really just dive into, you know, your story. Um, you mentioned Sleepaway Camp and how that had an impact and really started to foster your understanding of the world. But we would love to just start on your, your journey, right? So we know that you're here um, working at KIPP, almost finished with your MBA program. We'll talk about, you know, ultimately where you would like to take things. But how did you get started? Right. Like, how did you get to to where you are? That's a great question. So when you were telling me this, I'm I'm trying to, like, think back and like through my life's history. I was like, yo, did I ever know what I wanted to be when I grew up? And I'm like, no, which is probably why <laughs> I'm still trying to like figure things out. But yeah, you know, I think I got, I think I have like very, you know, similar experience to folks that grew up in urban areas. So single mom, lived in Newark, was really smart, um, was in like gifted and talented. I remember like being in, what's that? Um, not yet, daycare, like trying to advance myself in the alphabet, like before my classmates do. So I remember when they were learning how to make an E and, you know, you make an E and it's like a line at the top, a line in the middle, a line at the bottom. My E kind of looked like a cone because I had drew too many lines in between. But like, I remember, you know, having feelings like even that early, like I would just be bored or felt like I was like so much faster um, than everybody else. And then I like got into a gifted and talented program that was really good. Um, and then one day I was in Louise Spencer Elementary School, which is like down the street from my house. Um, they had, um, there was a woman named Ms. Peters who came in and I gifted in talented class, which is wild now if you know about charter schools that they even let this happen. So she was working for North Star and she came in our class, which is the gifted and talented class, and basically brought a brochure for North Star and like laid it out. 
like what it was and then was like take this flyer see i live in the hood so if you hear most i can go by you know the weather's nice so you know everybody's out here um but <clears throat> brought the flyer home to my mom and was like i want to go here like i want to go here the rest is history um i didn't really have a hard time in north star um i think now they will sort of market it as like you know we picked these kids up off the ground and, you know, because of them, they got to college. Um, and that wasn't necessarily the case. I have a sister that's nine years older than me. So when I entered North Star, she was a senior in high school um, and she was going to college. Um, so I like I had already sort of seen it and, big, and knew that that would have been like a, that would have been a goal for me regardless of North Star. But what I will say that North Star did give to me was tons of opportunity. Um, so, you know, I got the opportunity to go to summer camp for free. I got the opportunity to go out the country for the first time at 16. Um, I got the opportunity to, you know, I mean, this might not be an opportunity, but I love to play this game at two truths and a lie. One of the things I always say, which is my truth, is like I did my class in the sixth grade, George W. Bush, came to North Star and did a tour with Christy Tyre Whitman, who was the then governor of New Jersey. And she, they came into my social studies class in the sixth or seventh grade. And we were learning about Europe. So our teacher, Mike Mann, who you probably know or have heard of, um, and he's like super strict, like very, we used to joke and say he was in the CIA. He's like really like super strict and very like cross every T and dot every line. He had us learn the map of Eastern European. So it wasn't enough that we knew where France, where we knew where France was and Italy was like, but do you know where Yugoslavia was? So we challenged George Bush to name in the countries and my class was able to name more countries than he did. So I always bring it up in true truths and lie because people are like that's a lie. I'm like, no, that's the dead ass truth. <laughs> um, that's the dead ass truth. Um, so like, if I really enjoyed like the competitiveness of school, I like like school. I mean, I I was blessed to have uh, work in North Star when everybody was black for the most part. <laughs> we had a lot of black teachers and a black a lot of black women teachers, and like they basically. It's funny now because they were probably younger than me, but I felt like they did a lot in sort of raising me and like giving me a lot of support and love and sort of pulling me to the side. So I had like a fantastic experience. Um, I played basketball in the sixth grade for North Star. And of course, there was no girls team. So I played basketball. I learned how to play basketball sort of with boys. Um, all middle school, I was the only girl um, playing basketball and I love basketball so much. Um, and then in high school, I was good enough to play for Shabazz, which was at the time, we were like top three school in the state. Like <laughs> we went to the finals um, and I was able to sort of walk on to Shabazz as a person that did not go there um, and made the varsity team my freshman year and was like, what? <laughs> I made the varsity team my freshman year. And to me, that was the hardest part of high school because I started North Star and it was 36 of us. And I, when I started in the fifth grade and we numbers gradually went smaller because like people left, people stayed back. Um, and I ended up graduating North Star with 22, 22 of us graduated. And out of those 22, three were boys and only one of those boys were the was the original group of boys. The rest of them had either trans the other two had either transferred in and one had stayed back. Um, so only graduated with three boys, and then the rest of us we felt like brothers, we felt like sisters and brothers because we have literally known each other um, since the twelfth grade. So playing for Shabazz was like a 
whole other experience because I had to like, I realized I had (laughs) to like be better at things socially. And I also had to realize people's sort of relationship with school was not like my relationship with school. Um, And that was super hard um, to navigate um, as a kid. And I'm not, I wasn't a kid who was like, oh, I know everything. I'm smart. But like, I, I knew I was smart, um, but it would, it would be very interesting. I would go into practice and it would be in study hall and there were folks who were juniors and seniors who like could not do the math I was doing um, or they didn't have homework or they didn't understand why. They just didn't understand my schedule. So I was in school from North Star. I had a bus that came to get me. I used to catch the 42. So not it didn't come get me. I used to catch the bus. It used to come at 710. So I used to be at school by 7.30 a.m., be in school from 8 to 3.30, and then catch either the 27 or the 13 to Shabazz. So, like, I didn't get to hang out with my friends after school during basketball season. I had to, like, get to Shabazz because practice started at 4.30, and I would be in practice from, like, 4.30 to 8 o'clock at night. Because we were good, we weren't having, like, an hour practice. <laughs> we were practicing like we were in the NBA. <laughs> I'm like, uh, like the NBA or, like, you know, top WNBA teams. Like, we was we were in there practicing we were so good that the boys practice first like the boys practice first the boys play first we played last because people were coming to see us like people were literally coming to see us like our games would be packed like it was it's it's unbelievable to have to went through that and to have to go through that and then like at the school where I'm coaching now I see how the girls program is so much more different is like the inverse experience and it makes me mad but we'll get to that later um so I played basketball I was decent. Um, I did not work as hard as I wished I worked hard. And I think a lot of that had to do with like the social woes. Like I just felt like I didn't, the only thing I had in common with these girls were basketball, was basketball. Um, I sort of didn't connect with them because we just cared. We had different priorities. <laughs> like we just had very different priorities. Like I knew I was going to college whether I was playing basketball or not. Hey everybody. So I have some really exciting news. The Third Lab podcast is actually expanding. And so I'm in the process of putting together a co-author book called The Third Lab, Transformational Stories of Life Experiences That Make Us Better. And this is a great opportunity for anyone that's looking to get published for the first time, or if you've been published before, this is a great opportunity to, well, not have to write a whole book yourself. And so if you're interested in learning more about the product, the program, the opportunity, feel free to reach out to me at maldavis21 at gmail.com. Or feel free to reach out to me through the socials for the third lap. Really excited about this program, really excited about this opportunity, and really excited for you all to come and join me. So again, if you have any questions, want to learn more, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Each one, teach one, we all learn together. Peace. I applied to like 15 schools in high school. I was so hype about going to college. Like, I was so hype about going to college. Um, I knew I wanted to go to an HBCU. I knew I wanted to go to Howard. I had went on, um, I went to visit Howard two times. And every time I went to visit Howard, school was not in session. So like I always went over the summertime, I had an AAU tournament in Maryland. And my AAU coach was really good about taking us to actually see colleges, not just play on them. So we went to play at, we had a, we did nationals at, I made, made it to nationals at UMD. And then he took us to Howard and it was summer and it was nobody on that campus. And I felt like, I, this is going to sound cheesy, I literally felt like I was at home. Like, it, it felt like, as they say on Brown Sugar, like, the perfect verse over a perfect beat. Like, 
I got there and I was like, yes, like I saw myself there. I didn't know what I wanted to study, but I was like, this is it. So I, uh, that following fall, first day of school, I went up to my guidance counselor and was like, yo, I'm going to Howard. And she, <laughs> she was like, okay, like, cool. Um, so, and then I went again in school and then I went and there were nobody on campus again. And I was like, yep, I still want to go here. So I applied to like 15 schools. They had to force me to apply to schools in New Jersey. Cause I was like, I'm not staying here. Um, and I ended up going to Howard and it was like literally the best sort of decision of my life. Um, I did not have any sort of academic challenges at Howard. The only sort of issues that I faced were one, realizing that <laughs> you could still be a minority at an HBCU. Um, and I say it was because, you know, I grew up black as hell. That's why I like, I, I joke with my friends, like, you want to have a contest over who's black, I'm probably going to win. Like, I checked off all those sort of black things, right? And I did not know or understand that a lot of these, uh, a lot of my classmates' parents were sending them to Howard so they can discover their blackness. Because there were some instances where I had classmates doing to me what white people do to black people all the time just off of like where you come from. I rem I'll never forget, I was on a shuttle bus going back to Meridian and this guy, he was asking us like, where y'all from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Newark. And he was like, yo, you from Newark? I was like, yeah. He was like, like New Jersey Drive? Yes, like New Jersey Drive. He was like, yo, I'm glad you made it out. I remember, I remember looking at my my then, my friend Camille was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> I'm like, what is he talking about? Um, and I, you know, I then began to realize and I was like, you know, people, hear only tend to only hear the bad things about certain places because that's what gets put on the news all the time so that was super wild or in being in classes with people who are like super conservative and don't even know it yet I mean now they're not conservative now they done found their blackness and you know they're anti-government but it, back then they were like super conservative and saying some crazy things in sociology class about you know, black ghettos and what happened after Reconstruction, and they're just like, oh, that's stupid. They can just, I don't call, you know, I heard a black person, the first time I've heard somebody use the phrase welfare queen, it came from a black person. I had never heard that before because, again, I'm surrounded by black people in a place that's mostly the same. They not, nobody's in Newark gonna call nobody a welfare queen. <laughs> like, I would dare you to, and we'll see what happened to you in, in 15 minutes, but. I didn't know what a welfare, welfare queen was. I was like, what is a welfare queen? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, y'all never met poor people before. Like, y'all have never met poor people before. Um, but there were some... crazy. I mean, it's not, it's not crazy because, you know, black elites work very, very hard to separate themselves from the poor. And so it's not super surprising. But on the same note that, like, you know, you don't got to grow up in the hood to have, like, an understanding of hood culture, right? Just the fact that like somebody's gonna say, like I'm like, thank God you made it out. Like, yo, what do you mean, my dude? <laughs> like, what what are you saying right now? Um, but yeah, the I think shout outs to first of all to Howard and, and to all HBCUs, but you're not the first person to tell me that like they came across black elitism at an HBCU for the first time, right? And, like, mm -hmm. how that kind of threw them off. But, yeah, I didn't want to... Sorry to interrupt, but I no was like, I, I'm like, my, my mind is blown at the fact that folks are having these conversations with other black people. Like, what? what? Like, what do you mean, bro? You could say what you want to say about the hood and poor people and then put black people in that. But when I tell you that, one, black people are resilient people and black poor people are even more resilient. And there are some lessons that I saw people learn at college that were painful to watch that I had learned 
I don't even know if I had learned it. I think I just grew up. No, it was like just already in me. For instance, like freshman year, freshman year dorms, living in the quad, there were so many girls that used to have catty fights, catty beefs, used to do petty stuff. And I would, or like was really concerned with having the biggest group of friends, right? And then they would be best of friends freshman week and wouldn't make it the <laughs> half the week of the semester. And I'm just like, y'all ain't never had like a good old thorough hood friendship. Like, because the things y'all arguing off over, you would get, you would either get cussed out or somebody from the hood would be like, all right, we just going to square up right now. Um, and I think because no one has ever sort of put hands physically or like, you know, proverbially on people, people talk mad slick. So I remember my freshman year, they used to think me and my friend Camille were bullies because we just didn't have time for the BS. Like, <laughs> like it was just like, are you real or are you not real? And it helped though. It helps. I also never got robbed because you know, people don't talk about this, but at HBCUs, especially those that live close to the city, the, the, People who are actually from the area, there's usually some sort of tension between folks that attend the HBCUs um, and the people that live in the areas where the HBCUs are. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch School Days. It's that perfect scene with Lawrence Fishburne and Samuel L. Jackson eating the chicken. Um, and it sort of explains that. But Howard kids used to get robbed all the time after dark <laughs> because D.C. folk just knew they were bait and because they look gullible. You look like you came from a, a square town where you could walk the streets and be on your cell phone or have money out and nobody bothers you man people used to get robbed left and right you know who never got robbed me because you know why i had my regular newark face on walking down the street and nobody messed with me or i just had like street smarts like there was just stuff i wouldn't do like you never have to tell me if i'm waiting at a bus stop on georgia avenue then georgia avenue now georgia avenue was nice but that i had to keep my cell phone in my pocket but you would see people, men too, because I was, I also was like, wow, men get chumped. I've never, like, <laughs> um, men get chumped too. Like, not for nothing, there could have been some men that could have walked home with me and they probably wouldn't have got uh, messed with <laughs> if they if they was walking with me because I would, I'm just so surprised. I was like, oh, wow, like y'all, but they everybody wanted to be street so bad. Everybody wanted to be a thug in this, but it's like, sir, your, your dad's the prime minister of Barbados and that actually happened I had a guy whose dad was the prime minister of Barbados and sat on Howard University's board of trustees try to tell me about how he was more gangster than I was and he knew what it was like to grow up like me and I was like we listen to what you just said the fact that you could say my father dot 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 and I can't say my father dot 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 and it'd be something positive sets us apart like we don't live we don't live the same life. It's like everybody want to live the hood life, but nobody wants to be the hood life, including black people, which I think is, I just thought was wild. I was like, oh, y'all perpetrate, y'all are just like the white people. Elitist black people and white people actually have more like, <laughs> more things alike than they do different. It's like race is a, is a segregator, but also class and wealth is too, which is why I'm just like, I don't understand why poor white people out here in the streets acting like this because poor white people and poor black people are the same. In, in a capitalistic society world. Um, so I went to Howard, did not know what I was studying, just knew I was going to school, took mad electives, took mad general classes in arts and sciences, thought I wanted to be a teacher for a little bit, but I think I think I wanted to be, thought I wanted to work in education and wanted to be a teacher because that's all I knew. 
Um, but like had a come to Jesus moment. and was like, I don't want to be a teacher. I love, love, love TV and film. And I like loved it. Um, I would do stuff like when DVDs were hot, there would be an option to sort of watch a DVD, but also you would hear like a director and an actor sort of talk over the DVD, talk over the movie while it's happening. And they tell you stuff about like how they had to shoot this scene X amount of time. So I would, and it would be on DVD. So I would, I would buy DVDs and watch those parts of the DVD because I was so interested in like filmmaking and how you made it. So I decided, I was like, you know, you like that so much. Why don't you study it? So I transferred to the school of C, um, the semester before the before the spring semester of my freshman year and got in. And when I got to the school to see, I realized that I was a creative person, but I had not learned how to release creative things. So when I was at North Star, everything was like super academic. There was like, we really didn't get an opportunity to have a creative side because that just wasn't a priority. And then I got to the school to see and had to, you know, write and do all these things. And it was super hard for me. I could write you a persuasive essay with my eyes closed, right? I could solve for X, no problem. But to use what's inside of you to be creative, that was super hard. So I struggled my first semester in the school of C, like really bad. People had went to schools where they had TV stations and TV shows, and they had they were already touching Final Pro and Pro Tools. And my school didn't have that. <laughs> my school didn't have that. My school had computers and technology and whatever you needed to do to be smart, but nothing into the creative side. So I was like on a learning curve. Um, but I busted my ass that summer before my sophomore year. I had an internship at ABC Daytime. Again, Another reason why I would say Northstar was so great is because I was competing with internships with, you know, for in media with everybody. Everybody wants to be in TV and film. And then there were people at Howard who were just so well connected. They could like pick up a phone call and they can get the internship at whatever. But there was a music teacher at one of the Northstar elementary schools. And I got connected with her and her husband used to be like an executive producer for a show on in on ABC Daytime. And I told him, I like met with him and told him what I wanted to do. And he was like, oh, you should apply for a Disney internship. And I'm gullible. I'm like, okay, I'll apply for a Disney internship. And I got the internship. <clears throat> like, I didn't have to do no application. I didn't have to. I just got the internship and I didn't realize how much of a big deal it was until I got in the room and I heard all these other people and I was like, y'all do what? So I interned at ABC daytime, which was amazing and so much fun. Um, and I, you know, there's a special part of the internship where you get to talk to like the VB. So I got to talk to the VP of programming, a nice Jewish white lady. Well, she wasn't nice, but she was a thorough Jewish white lady, which I appreciated. I didn't need her to be nice. She wasn't mean to me, but she was straight up. And she was like, so what do you want to do? How can I help you figure out what you want to do? So I told her, I was like, I want to write for television. I want to produce. And she looked me in my eyes and was like, you can't doing, you can't be in New York doing that. <laughs> she literally was like, day, she was like, daytime TV is dying, which now we know was true because the soap operas are going off. And she was like, everything scripted is in Los Angeles. So you got to go to Los Angeles. So I was like, okay, bet I'll go to Los Angeles. Except I wasn't rich <laughs> like my Howard classmates. And I couldn't afford to graduate on May 8th. And then my parents bought me an apartment in L.A. And I just make it. So I took the year off, um, studied for my GREs, took my GREs, and I needed a job. And I was like, okay, where I need some place where I can, like, focus on my creative part, keep my craft at the top of my head. But I need, I need to work. So I was like, oh, I'll work in a school because I know it's Monday through Friday, weekends off. 
Um, and I got a job at this charter school, a brand new charter school. It opened August 2011, and I started January 23rd, 2012, called People's Prep Charter School. And it was a new charter school, and I knew a girl, again, that went to Howard. So the, the importance of networking, which is a theme here, which I didn't make it, mean it to be a theme. But this girl I worked with at Howard, who worked at North Star when she graduated, had just got hired at People's Prep as a physics teacher. And I saw it posted on like Indeed or something. And I hit her up. I was like, hey, girl, like, do you know anything? She's like, oh, I put a word in. So I, I, I applied for an office manager position. And I went to my office manager interview. And I just told him sort of my story with more of the North Star stuff. Like, you know, insert some of those high names you know in North Star. And the principal literally was like, they acted like I was a celebrity, which was weird. And in retrospect, some of the questions that they asked me, I was like, oh, I know why y'all asked me these questions. But they were like, I think you had really extraordinary and great teachers. I think you'll be able to help us find other great teachers. Don't you want to be a recruiter? And I was like, I think I kind of asked, like, do I still work Monday through Friday? Yes. And then she was like, you also get more money. And I was like, oh. We lit. Sure. I'll be a recruiter. She literally met with me like my first week and showed me all the things she was doing to hire people. And then she was like, go ahead. <laughs> um, and it was great. It was the, I did not know what I was doing. I did not know what I was doing, but I love that job because one is, it's still probably the most, the funnest place I've ever worked. I literally laughed and cackled, like belly laughed every single day I was at that job. Whether I was laughing at my coworkers, whether I was laughing at my kids and their families, like I like literally laughed every day. And I taught myself everything from recruitment. I like researched career fairs. I learned how to source. I learned how to network. I built so many responsibilities. And when I started at People's Prep, there was six employees. When I left, there was like a hundred and something. So, and I hired all those people by myself. And get this, you're going to laugh. We did not get an application tracking system until two years before I left. So I was sourcing people using a careers at website, <laughs> careers at email address and just reading resumes. Like I built that whole recruitment program. Um, I, so I'm like, really, like that just grew me. Like I just, it's wild when I go back and think it was like, you came this far. I coached basketball when I was at People's Prep, which was super important to me. I still coach basketball. We're, we're like on COVID, so I virtually coach basketball. Um, and I love that. Like, if you ask me what my dream job is, like, I wish I could be like a basketball coach. I don't need to be in the NBA. I don't need to be in the WNBA, but I would like to. I, I think now I would be okay with coaching a college team, but they, I want them to be good because I want perks of being a good college team. So maybe I'll be like an assistant coach. Like I think I would be a good coach who was in charge of recruitment naturally. Like I think that would be good. Like I think I could recruit players and be really good, but, or I would like to coach for a really competitive high school um, team. Um, coaching at people's prep is super hard because <clears throat> a lot of my girls, they come one. I don't have a lot of girls. I've never had a team with more than nine girls. <laughs> so we don't do no subs like and the and the three or two that's on the bench are not good like <laughs> are not good so they don't even play unless like we know because a lot of my girls when I started playing basketball I like watched it right so I remember my grandfather like would we would watch Michael Jordan and the Bulls I was a Knicks fan but when I grew up, Michael Jordan was hot. So I watched a lot of Michael Jordan games and I like, like to play basketball. And it wasn't out the, it wasn't weird for girls to play basketball, I guess. A lot of my girls came to me 
wanting to just try basketball because it seems fun, but they don't have skills. Or if they have played before, the programs that they played for in elementary school was just like, whatever. It just wasn't great. Like, I don't think they put a lot of time in it. So I spent a lot of my time as a basketball coach teaching girls the game of basketball. So a lot of them don't know what a walk is. Oh, my God. Like, the first five games of the season, we should be, like, a traveler's club because that's all we was doing. We They they was, like, taking five steps. They just traveled a whole time. And so I've had refs be like, I'm not calling every single travel violation because we will be here all day. They just – so I really got to teach them, like, what's – <laughs> What's a crossover? What's a backboard? Also, the school I was working in till last year, coaching at, they we just got an official glass backboard. We was we used we were used playing with just like a wood backboard. The gym that I coach in now was where I used to practice AAU. So like those courts had been there <laughs> since I was in high school at least. Um, you know, and I used to tell the athletic director I can't co- teach a girl how to effectively shoot a layup. If there's no box, like the box is there for a reason. The box is there in the NBA. (laughs) I can't teach them how to make a layup if I don't have the right sort of skills. Um, And last season was our best season. We actually made it. We beat Weekway High School, which if you don't know anything about New Jersey, Weekway is a big high school. You know that. And people's probably the most students they have is 300. And I had a team of eight girls and we made the playoffs. We lost in our charter school league finals, which another time. And then we made it to the New Jersey, like, playoffs. And we had Weekway. The girls thought they were done. I'm not going to lie. I thought we were done. Um, and we went and we played them at Weekway because our gym was not a, a standard court because the school is in a middle school. And we beat Weekway. And we beat them by, like, 10 points. Um, it was super great. I had three seniors. I love them. But, like, I love basketball. So I left people's prep because I couldn't move up I was getting tired of being a master at my job like if when I get bored it's a wrap when I get bored I become the worst employee because I just do I know what I can do to get by and you once I'm bored I'm not doing nothing else more I need to do to get by um so I got tired of doing that and I realized I couldn't grow so I went to Relay mainly because like I knew I I could get the job at Relay because so many North Star first folks were in Relay. Um, So I like went to Relay, applied for the job and worked at Relay and Relay was remote and it was the best. And I loved my team at Relay. Um, But I really learned how to be a better recruiter because I started using data. Like I started using data more. Um, I started learning to like personalize recruitment experience because it was basically college recruitment, which is very different from standard teaching recruitment. Um, And then I got while I was at Relay and while I was at People's Prep 2, I was frustrated because I was like, why is recruiting teachers so hard? Um, And I realized it was a myriad of things. (laughs) It's hard to recruit teachers because our country treats teachers terribly. Um, which I think we've seen through COVID and because I just don't think it's marketed right at the end of the day. Like, I think the root problem is that it's not marketed right. So, and I really got into doing a work of like website creation. I'm not a website builder, but I like sat with the website guy and told him, this is what people should see when they go to our career page. This should be highlighted. I like sort of making those ideas to sort of hone up people's experience. So I was like, oh, I want to be a director of marketing for a school or an org that I felt connected to. So when I got to Relay, Shauna, and come Shauna again, was like, hey, I know this Kianti who just left Uncommon, who is now 
the director of marketing at Relay, she's a really cool, she's like really cool. Y'all should meet. And she's in the marketing. Y'all should talk. So I met with Keonti, who I love. And I literally said, I want you, how do I get your job one day? And she was like, so she was like, you want to do exactly what I'm doing? I'm like, yeah, for the most part. And she was like, well, I hate to tell you this. She was like, I'm not hate to tell you this, but you're going to have to go to business school. Like, nobody's going to sort of give you those director of marketing for something specific like this unless you have an MBA. And I always toyed with going to grad school. I had applied to grad school. I was at People's Prep and decided I didn't want to go because I just didn't want to go into debt for an MFA. <laughs> if I'm going to go into debt for something now, I'd rather go in debt for MBA than an MFA because it just means more in the market. Um, and I had like applied to Columbia for like organizational stuff. And when she said, it's like when she told me what to do, it felt, I was like, oh, then I'll do it. I was like, great. It's a black woman. I trust her. She said, go get her MBA. I'm gonna go get my MBA. I thought I was going to be a full-time MBA student. And then I was like, no, I got adult bills and responsibility. <laughs> so I can't afford to quit work to go to school because I'm just going to end up getting more loan money to, to, to sustain my lifestyle. So I discovered, I was like either looking at uh, part-time MBAs, which were four years long. And I said, I'm not <laughs> doing college time for a two-year, one-year degree. Um, so I found executive MBA programs, which we call EMBA, and I applied at Rutgers. I did an interview and I got in and going, being in an MBA program is literally nothing like I uh, imagined. And I got to statistics and I was just like, oh my God, i flunked the hell out of my statistics midterm like when I saw and the bet the sad part was I studied I like studied I was staying up to like two o'clock in the morning working I studied I felt good when I took the exam and she gave me that exam back and I was like wow and because she's a stats teacher she, she had the nerve to like break down the scores of everybody so she was she was like oh 25% of the class got like an 85 or better. Duh, duh, duh. And then she was like, and then there's the 10% who got a low, low grade. And I was in that 10%. And for a moment, I, I like really was like, am I going to be able to, to make it out this? Like, if I can't get through stats, like, what am I going to do? I had to sort of change just everything about how I studied. I had to go out my comfort zone and ask people for help. Um, I was now in an educational environment for the first time where I was a minority two times. I was a woman and I was black. And most folks in my program are Indian men, Indian women, white men, and then white women. It's not even a lot of white women in my program. Just those conversations and sort of navigating sort of my people experience in business school has also been as hard as it has been for me academically. Because people are wild or people sort of, people's experiences, you know, take this as me being a minority. So I feel like black, you know, people make this jokes about black people. It's like, we have to go around taking everybody else in consideration, into consideration about how, you know, how we're dressed might make a white person feel or how us, you know, all these things. But there are other privileged groups who don't get to have that experience and it just, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> and it's like happened to me directly. It's happened to our professor. Our statistics professor is a woman, an older Jewish woman, Rosa. Like she knows her stuff. And she told, told us on the first day of class, like 
you do not want to get into a back and forth with me because I guarantee you I know the right answer. And she was like, I got a chemical engineering degree. I got a doctorate in this. Like, she was like, I know my stuff. Yet and still, there were men who, when Rosa said something she they didn't like, went back and forth with her in the class and felt nothing about it. And she wasn't wrong. And people would try, but they would think because their experience was cer- a certain way that their experience was bond. But I also have mentioned these seeing these same men not do the same thing to our male professors who were legit wrong what up everybody thank you as always for listening to the podcast and as this thing has evolved i've been able to make merch so for all the folks that have already bought merchandise thank you so much for people that haven't yet to purchase any you can go to the third lap podcast that's t-h-e the number three r-d-p-o-d-c-a-s-t.com go to that merch tab it'll take you right to the t public store there's third lap merch right now with the logo on it but gearing up for some future drops all types of different things and so if you have ideas or concepts or art work that maybe you want to see as merch and want to collaborate hit me up you know how to find me third lap on instagram facebook twitter all of the socials all of the places i love y'all thank you for always supporting peace and as we are sort of getting up into the classes it's like we're talking about venture capitalism and there's a lot of you know the the elephant in the room is like you know minority groups don't get venture capitalist money like other groups and women don't either. <laughs> and there are men and men of color who are not black or Latino who are just like, they find every excuse for the, for the reason of why those marginalized groups aren't getting money except calling out the race or the gender card. It's everything else. It's like academic preparedness. It's like people are like, or it's okay to say that this is racist. <laughs> It's okay to say that this is racist. Okay, that it's just, that it's, there's some bigotry and some some bias involved. Um, having to navigate, I'll give you a great example. Um, the Lunar New Year was recently, right? We have one Chinese student in our class. His name is Aaron. He hasn't even been let. He has. He's like in China because he had to go to China when COVID started. Um. When Luna New Year came, and there's another other Chinese, there's another Chinese holiday that people share that I'm unfamiliar with. They, when we were in person, they gave him like a, a red envelope, and it's like you're supposed to give money during the Luna year, New Year because it brings for fortune or whatever. We took up collections. I'm like, I'm not giving him no money for Aaron. Make more money than me, first of all. One, <laughs> Aaron owns his own business. All right one and i'm not giving him the money but then when black history month came around there was nobody who wished and there were more black people in our program than there are there's aaron there's one aaron there's about six black people you think somebody wished us a happy black history month it happened in person and then this year virtually just the black people went for it and was like well i like to wish all the black people happy new year Y'all don't see us. You in a class with literally five people. It takes two things. It takes two minutes to say, like, Happy Black History Month. <laughs> you don't have to wear a kente cloth. You don't have to give us no money for Black History Month. Just wish us a happy Black... It, it takes. It literally takes nothing, but it is what it is. So uh, what we're doing now is, like, I'm spending a lot of time with the other Black people in the class under us trying to just build a network for us. So well, and, now- and I just want to touch on that real quick because I feel like you, you hit on something that is a conversation amongst black people when you talk about the like 
lumping us all together into the umbrella terminology of like people of color or like the black indigenous people of color, right? It's like when you talk about other people, quote unquote, of color, like they're hella disrespectful towards black people too, right? And so it's not like, like you said, we have to recognize all these other cultures. People also recognize our culture. They love our music. They love mm-hmm. our fashion. They love our athletes. Mm-hmm. They they take and take and take. But when it's time to turn around and appreciate, is no there's no appreciation whatsoever. Here and there, right? Like you'll get some folks that do. But overall, I think that like what you just described is the same feeling that a lot of people get when you're surrounded by other people of color and you're supposed to like. It's like this this mentality of like we're all in it. I think white folks think that like we're all in it together, right? Like people of color, mm-hmm. we're all teammates. Like man, hell no, like absolutely not. Like yo, folks talk bad about black people, man, and treat mm-hmm. us even worse, yo. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that you are finding that network of other black um, MBA students to create that community um, because again, like when we don't create it for ourselves, it just doesn't happen. Um, nobody's going to look out for us. I would love to hear, like you You spent a lot of time describing your pathway and process to get into where you are. Um, you had some really strong role models early on in school, going through Uncommon, had really great opportunities presented to you, had a conflict of interest with the young women at Shabazz, right? Because like they weren't necessarily on the same trajectory that you were, end up at Howard, great experiences, but again, are like confronted by where you from, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. can't you can't get away from where you from, right? And and even amongst black people, even amongst people of color, we're still determined or we're still defined by our zip code. Um and so, you know, I would definitely love to hear what else you have had to overcome and then ultimately like where do you see yourself going in the future? What do I overcome? So now I feel like a lot of the things that I need to overcome is sort of how I speak and deal with myself. And it's very interesting because I would have never used the word, I would never have said like, oh, sometimes I am doubtful of myself. This is something that's come up recently, um, like literally. And I'm like, it's, I don't think it's business school, but it's like in the era of business school um, where I'm feeling like now I'm just sort of in the, the age where I'm just not the age, but like the season where I'm doing a lot of comparing that can sometimes be unhealthy. Um, and one of the things that I'm focusing on is like giving myself grace and being appreciative of like how far I have come. The more I go to business school is because I've learned so much and been turned on to just so much that I just didn't even, I wasn't even checking for. I think that sometimes somehow sort of scrambles what my end game and my end goal is. I think ultimately I want to work around people. I want to be around people. I think those are my, my strengths and my skill set. So when I'm thinking about like, what's my end goal or what like my favorite job is or like what my job will be or if I can create my own job. I'm thinking about, I want people to feel included in sort of whatever they do because I think when people can be included and they can bring their quote unquote whole self to work and we, we, could, touch on, we could touch on that differently, I think you perform better. The problem is I think companies are trying to do that, but it's like if you don't fit into these boxes, then we can't you can't bring your whole self to work. Um, so 
I think now sort of my passion is finding a position in which, and it might be like a director of people sort of thing, or it's not DEI because I don't want it to just sort of be just into DEI, but I want to sort of enhance people's work experiences. Um, And the recruiter part of me is like really big on retention (laughs) and retention. Everybody wants retention, but it's like the way you get retention is you have to um, mature the talent that you have in the building. I think I think that a lot of people leave jobs because they think they're either bored or they can't and they're probably bored because they don't see a trajectory for themselves. And I think I want to work with companies to try to really lay out and map out the trajectory and give that same customer service experience that people love to give to the outside folks coming in to the people that actually work for the organization so that the organization could truly um, be strong. There are some parts of me that wants to be an entrepreneur um, <laughs> that wants to do some things. Um, and I'm definitely like really thinking about this sort of cannabis thing as it's sort of coming in and being cool now and things that I want to do. Um, and, you know, and taking venture capitalist classes and being in entrepreneurship classes, I'm actually working on a really cool project for my entrepreneurship classes, but I'm not going to tell it because if somebody listens to your show and they take my idea, then we then I'm gonna be from North because we gonna have to throw hands. But um, but I you know I you know I have I have so many sort of dreams and aspirations. I want to open up a restaurant that's like HBCU themed. Um, there are so many things I want to do. So what I'm really trying to focus on is just like really sharpening sharpening some of those hard and soft skills because what I've also learned in business school is that there are people who have done way less and work less harder who have so much more than we do and it takes it takes it back to like the importance of networking and the importance of networking i will say this again school is nice yes and you need to go to school to get certain things but if you leave school with just your education then you didn't get your full roi which is return return on investment from school um everybody's going to have the same credentials, right? You will find similar credentials, but what makes people stick out sometimes is like your network. Um, I had a a professor who said something that I've always known, but he put words to it perfectly where he's like, you're only three phone calls away from somebody you need to talk to or answer that you need. And in order to do that is you just got to continue continuously build your network. So I'm focusing my time, my time now on like building my network, making um, real and engaging connections with people on a real level. And I, and what I've had to learn is like, you're not going to want to connect with everybody that you connect with for the first time. And that's okay. I, I think I spent a lot of my past years being like, okay, I, I made a connection with this person. Now I got to like make it work. No, if the relationship doesn't organically flourish, it's not going to be a real connection anyway. And you're not probably going to come up on the top of somebody's head because like the relationship and the connection wasn't there. So that was a lot. But I think like that's where I am. Yeah. And and that component around retention is so important. And and you and I talk about this a lot. And like anyone that's involved in recruitment or talent and education um, or really any company or organization, retention is such an important conversation to have. Um, but it's so complex, right? Because there's mm-hmm. so many things that go into retention. Um, but it's such important work. Uh, you know, I, I definitely believe that there's a space in it for you to be an entrepreneur, right? Like you put, could potentially help organizations and schools or districts with that retention work um, as a consultant or, you know, really owning your own and operating your own business. That's the dope thing about education. 
there's so many pathways to entrepreneurship within it. Um, and I know so many entrepreneurs that started off teaching or doing whatever. Um, and then that piece you said around like folks that have done way less than done way less and worked a lot less that have so much. That's the thing that blows my mind sometimes about it. Right. It's like, you know, we grind out for the things that we want. And then you see somebody to your left or to your right. And it's like, damn, bro, like, I ain't seen you bust a sweat yet. Like, how the heck you get all the way up there, bro? Um, and it's something that you mentioned, which was just that networking component. So somebody told me over the summer, it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Um, mm -hmm. And like that who knows you piece is subtle difference, but it's so important because folks know you, they speak on you in, in rooms where you aren't and opportunities arise, right? Like when you spoke to Shana and she put you on game that ultimately led you to your MBA, right? And so without that conversation, who knows if you're in this career pathway, who knows if you're in this program, it's so important to A, keep your ears open, but also network and, and move with the right people to position you um, where you're trying to go. And so Aaliyah, I mean, it's no doubt in my mind that whatever it is that you choose to pursue, um, and my man, actually Charles Penn, who was on several episodes earlier, he's out in Jersey, um, in Union, in Union County, he and his business partner are uh, in the process of getting their funded for a legal dispensary in Jersey. So, you know, that's something I'm actually looking to connect with um, some people on the podcast, too, just to provide more information around, like, how you go about doing that, how people got started with that work. Um, because, you know, they criminalized the heck out of it. Now it's legal and now they want to turn profit on it. Right. Well, white people love white people love weed now. So it's, it's OK yeah, now. Now it's cool. I remember running <laughs> from the police jumping fences, you know what I mean? Getting harassed. Even when I didn't have no bud on me, mm -hmm. they just assumed I did. And mm -hmm. that was cool. Like, I walk outside, and I'm like, damn, it's a party outside. Like, you know, whole different time, man. Um, but definitely opportunities for us to be able to crack into that and take advantage. And so, Ali, again, you know, I have no question in my mind that whatever it is that you, like, set your sights on, that ultimately you're going to accomplish it. And so, again, you've, you've walked us through, like, your pathway to where you are, you know, the difficulties that you've had to overcome, but how you've managed to navigate that so expertly. You talked about, you know, again, you're not 100% sure what happens next, but you know that you have a couple ideas in a hopper. Um, and as long as you work towards it, like something to pop, right? Like something positive will happen for you. But talk to us, what's your motivation, right? Like all of this work that you've put in, all of these experiences that you've had, um, all of the dreams that you have that you're still looking to accomplish. When you wake up in the morning, what keeps you going, right? Like, what's the reason for you wanting to accomplish all of these things and, and, and make sure that this is a part of your legacy? I'm not doing this for no, intently, primarily for nobody else but me. Because I know it's kind of like, you know, if you are on Instagram and you see these memes, it's like, you can't be in a relationship with nobody if you jacked up you got to take care of the relationship with yourself. And I've had to sort of learn that, but that's more so like from a professional point. So literally I do everything for me. And if I set myself up right and I treat myself up right, then everybody else, everything else around me also gets fed as fed too. But I can't take care of me doing it for somebody else. Like if I don't motivate myself, <laughs> It ain't nothing else I can do it. So I do. I literally am motivated by me and my goals and what I want. That's what gets me up at the end of the day. <laughs> That's what gets me up. That's what gets me up when I don't feel like getting up. It's like I got a plan for me. And I don't know necessarily what my end plan is, but I know like 
I can't be bored because I know when I'm bored is terrible and it's terrible. Like I can't be bored. So like everything I do, I got to do it for me. Everything I do got to, got to have, it has to serve me in some way. And in in its essence and in its rawness, it's selfish. But, and we talked about this a couple, like a week ago and even last week, we as a people, I think have been hurt because we have had not had the ability to be selfish as a people and as individually. When you put yourself first, everything else feeds. And also it works. I, I see so many people on the weekends when I go to school who put themselves first and choose themselves every time, whether it's I'm going to be the first in the lunch line. <laughs> I will be first to answer a question because I want these 10% participation points. Like, put yourself first at all time and then everything else will fall into place. Yeah, and I like that point about just us as people not really having the opportunity to be selfish. Yeah, I mean, when, when did we have that chance? When we was working for free for several hundred years, when we was being oppressed for several for another hundred, when we trying to duck the police and not go to prison... Like, you know, we don't really have a chance or opportunity. Like Paul Mooney said it in one of his stand-ups. He said, blacks, we're so loyal. We're like an old hound dog, right? And like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just true to a country that absolutely has done everything it could to subvert our efforts towards like actual liberation and freedom. We still hella loyal, man, right? Like we still put America and American ideals before our own. And so I could definitely dig that. You know, I think for me, it's been hard to be selfish because I always feel like it, that's wrong. Um, but as I grow older, I realize what you said, like, you know, until I'm addressing the things that are prevalent in my life and I'm able to tuck those away and solve, they're going to forever be around. And so at some point you have to focus internally and, and be introspective to move forward. And so Aaliyah, you know, we're, we're getting to the tail end of the podcast here. You know, I'm, I'm so excited. We made it like, 50 minutes before I talked about the bum-ass Knicks again. So, you know what I mean? I'm proud of myself for being a good host. You know what I mean? You, you said my mom raised me. My mom raised me right, so I ain't going to be disrespectful. But, you know, the Knicks are still trash. They still buns. Um, but, but as we get to the end of the podcast, you know, um, I want to give you a chance here to really stamp, you know, what it is that you want people to walk away with. So this is the motivational thoughts for the people. Two to three minutes. But really, Aaliyah, what's the message that you want to make sure that people walk away with at the end of your episode? I want people to walk away, one, putting themselves first and not feeling bad about it. But I also want you to know that that is not something that comes overnight. (laughs) That is something that took years um, for me to do that. And it takes a lot of like soul searching, whatever that means for you and whatever medium you find that. to really put yourself first, because if you are disappointed, if you, if you're disappointed, you can't blame nobody else. You can look at yourself, which is great because then you could debrief with yourself. And if you win and whatever win looks like you are not accountable and you don't have to share your wins unless you want to with anyone but yourself. And there's a beauty in that. Um, I also want people to know that like, there is no such thing as a straight path. Like, don't worry about order operations and what you have to do things like run your own race. Again, not something I have perfected, but it's something that I'm working on. And when I do work on it, I feel the most happy. I feel the happiest um, and the most complete. Um, And 
this is going to sound super cheesy again, but do what makes you happy. Happiness, nothing should sacrifice your happiness. Not a job, not a spouse, not a book, not a basketball team. <laughs> like nothing should sacrifice your happiness. Like strive for happiness. And I think everything else, everything else flows. Also <laughs> in the spirit of just information overload, learn how to do your own research. Learn how to do your own research. I think it's healthy to have difference of opinions. I think it's healthy to argue. Um, I think now we are like very much kumbaya, and kumbaya is good. It's enough, and you know, harmony is nice. But always seek other perspectives. Always seek other perspectives. Always seek other perspectives that are different from yours. Like, do not make a habit of going to people for advice or mentorship, mentorship, who you know is going to tell you what you want to know. Um, challenge yourself, like literally challenge yourself um, because I think you just, that's the best way for growth. Like you don't grow out of comfortability. You grow out of um, leaving your comfort zone. And yes, it is stressful and scary and nerve wracking and anxiety driven, but I think the reward very much surpasses like, the initial sort of pain um, that you may have to go through. And don't forget to laugh. Make sure, like, for real, make sure you laugh every day at anything. I don't care if it's a meme on Instagram. Make sure you laugh every day because people be tight. People just be tight and uptight. You got you to gotta laugh. You got to laugh. You got to most importantly laugh at yourself. I laugh at myself all the time. Yeah, I laugh. At my, I'm Usually if I'm laughing, I'm laughing at myself or some foolish thing that I've, I've done or found some silly-ass situation I found myself in. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, what I really heard you mention was joy, right? So making sure that you find time to laugh. Um, it was around, like, self-love, too, because, like, unless you really have that love for yourself and that appreciation for yourself, like, you're not going to really be able to move forward. Um, and something that you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, which is so important, too, which is giving ourselves grace. Um, and, like, I've learned through this pandemic, I've known it, but, like, really the pandemic has exacerbated the situation, but that I have a very negative, like, internal messaging system, right? Like, mm -hmm. I talk to myself terrible. The way I mm -hmm. talk to myself, I would never let a person talk to me a day in my life. Like, mm -hmm. I would smack the taste out their mouth before they <laughs> even had the chance, you know what I mean? But, like, yep. when I'm talking to myself, it's horrible, yo. And so with my therapist and with my wife and even with myself, I'm really, like, working on managing that because you will burn yourself out, right? Like, if you don't love yourself and you also in a world that doesn't love you, you're not going to make it, yo, right? Like, no. you're going to forever carry these burdens with you and, and you'll forever be in a perpetual state of unhappiness. Um, and, like, life is way too short to spend your whole life unhappy. So, you know, definitely search for that joy, but give yourself grace. You're going to make mistakes. None of us are perfect, right? It's all about picking yourself up. If you make a mistake, own it. If you got to apologize, apologize. Um and just let's just all collectively get better. This podcast is about all of us moving in the same direction. Um, and then the last thing I really heard you stamp, and it was a reoccurring theme throughout all of this, was again networking, right? Making sure that you're networking with the right people, but be open to the networking. Um, I'm this podcast is a is a manifestation of my want to network with more people. Um, I spend a lot of my time really insulated. And like mm -hmm. insular and believing that I'm going to do it by myself because I've been burned by too many people. And like that shortcut, a lot of the opportunities that I've had in life. Right. And so now I'm like, oh, 
all right, I got to get up with Aaliyah. That's the homie. Like, we're going to get the job done, right? And so, you know, folks, as you're listening, um, I say this at the end of every episode, but if there's somebody that you've heard that you want to connect with, reach out to them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's, let's connect the dots here. Let's start working together because as the show tag is, each one teach one, we all learn together. Like, the process and, and the purpose is that we all learn from one another. Um, and so in, in that lane um, of learning, what are some things that you've read like books that you've read, Audible that you've listened to, magazines. It could be movies, whatever you want. Um, but like, what what are some uh, what's some entertainment that you think people could gain a lot from? Oh yes, so great. I'm glad I'm glad you said just not books because I'm terrible at reading. But for my birthday just passed, I did get a Audible subscription, and the book I'm reading right now, um, which is good, is called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. So it's about a therapist. Um, and it's fiction, but it's about a therapist who has to go to therapy. And then, so it's told from like her therapy sessions with her therapist. And then also she, her sessions that she has with her clients. Um, and it's just really good. If you go to therapy, I think you will find it like particularly interesting because it's definitely some things that like therapists use in the book and to see it from another perspective. Anyway, it has me, has me asking a whole bunch of questions to my therapist. Like, do you do this, this? But it's a really good book. I, I haven't physically touched the book but i've listened to it so i i, I kind of want people to listen to it on audio audible more because i think it's like i think it's just better <laughs> but also i haven't picked up the book so i'm gonna take that with a grain of salt um so that's what i'm reading and i read it when i'm at work going through uh resumes and stuff because i can't listen to tv now and and go and work it's like messing me up now um another thing that i just got into as of like yesterday and today um why not us on ESPN Plus is produced by Stephen A. Smith and Chris Paul. It follows NCCU, which is North Carolina Cent- North Carolina Central University, which is an HBCU in North Carolina. It's like nestled between Duke and UNC, um, and it talks about their struggles as an HBCU um, Division One school compared to like other big Division One schools, and it's it's super inspiring. Um, it's told through the story of basketball. I connect with it as like a former athlete and I definitely connect to it as a coach and then connect to it as a black woman. They connect to it as a black woman that went to HBCU. Um, it's so, it's so good. Like the coach has went, is a like wonderful black man. And today I started Last Chance U um, and it takes place at, you know, a community college in East LA. Some two episodes in and it's just really good. One thing that I love about sports is, and I wish everybody could play a sport. I don't care. It don't have to be basketball. It don't have to be football, but I think there's some sort of merit that goes into people playing sports that it teaches you about adversity and all that stuff. Um, they, it's just so fascinating. There are parts that is, that are angering from both parts, more so just like how black athletes, <laughs> just the black athlete in general. It's like really sometimes really annoying. Cause it's like, we are still slaves in a sense because everybody wants to make it to the NBA and the NFL and literally our boys, I would say mostly boys now is girls too, but our young men literally have like a less than 2% chance of making it pro yet. There are thousands and thousands who will stand up every day and still fight for that chance. Even though some of these people aren't even good, <laughs> like they won't be the LeBron James, but get up every day. Like that's their motivation and they won't do it for something else. Like they're, 
black men have a better chance of being a doctor or a lawyer <laughs> than to be in the NBA. Yet, that's not being talked about. Like, I, I can, I bet you if I went out in the street right now, went to the city and asked like 10 black boys what they wanted to be when they grew up, what's their dream position, I don't think it would say it would be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, so like that is frustrating because you see like the inequalities of education and where some of these guys have just went wrong, specifically at Last Chance You. And it's just like, cause, because you're an adult and you we're older than them and we've gone through things, you just see people making mistakes and you're just like, that's no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? There's a young man in the, in the um, episode who talks, he was, he went to Oak Hill. So if you know anything about basketball, you know, Oak Hill is a really good school. Katie went there and he could not stop getting high. He was like a top 20, uh, <laughs> top 20 prospect. And because he could not stop getting high and the school gave him so many chances, they gave him, they gave him extra chances to be drug tested. They gave him a chaperone, somebody to watch him so he wouldn't get high and he still got high and he lost his scholarship. And now he's at community college in LA where he can't afford rent <laughs> because LA rent is expensive, still trying to make it to the NBA. And it's like, People didn't have high expectations. And it, what, it, what really annoys me is like, this is just a fail on our educational system because there's no way, there's a kid that went to high school, was an all-star player, and he couldn't even go to the schools that wanted him because he had a 2.2 GPA. So like, where was your coach? So like, your coach ain't have your back, right? Your coach ain't really had your back. Your teachers ain't have your back. Your principals ain't had it back. It's like, I feel like, that's the thing that makes me so upset. And I was like, it's okay to want to play sports. I get it. It's okay to go to college for free on a sport. But, like, use the system in your favor. If you're going to – because this is basically a system for us. We're making all these rich white people more money by playing these sports. LeBron James is great. He got money, but he's still working for somebody. He don't own no teams yet, <laughs> right? And if we're going to be in this system where we're going to be oppressed, at least learn how to make the system work for you. At least get the 2.5 so you can go to college so you can get the degree. That's all. But that's what I'm listening to. Um, that's what I'm listening to. That's what I'm reading. <laughs> that's what I'm watching. Um, and then just a lot of basketball. Yeah. And you you hit on some important things here. Um, but that piece around like professional athletes. So I remember when I was working in the South Bronx, we had like um, a physical fitness like training class. And so all the kids in there, they were giving the main teacher a hard time. And like the co-teacher who was um, she was a, a fitness expert. So it was giving them a hard time. So I stopped the class. I'm like, listen, we're gonna do we're gonna do something real fast. I was like, I want everybody in this class to raise this is seventh graders. I was like, I want everybody in this class to raise their hand if you plan on going pro in a sport, baseball, because mad Dominican kids too. Mm -hmm. So a lot of baseball players. So baseball, basketball, football, choose one and you try and go pro. 80% of the hands go up. I was like, all right, perfect. I was like, so how many of y'all got up six o'clock this morning and ran at least a mile? Nobody mm -hmm. hand go up. I was like, all right, baseball players. How many ground balls did you take this morning at 6 a.m.? None. Basketball. You ain't get up. You ain't do no layup drills. You ain't do no dribbling drills. Who got their tennis ball to get their handle right? No, nobody. Football players. You ain't run the ladder. You ain't go out and run no fork, no three-cone drills. How you going pro, but you're not putting the work in, yo? And so we had a whole conversation about, like, the correlation between, yo, the activities that you care about correlate to school. You can't access none of this if you don't do well in school, right? But... To me, so much of that falls on the coaches. So much of that falls on the teachers. We have people in the building that are paid to see our kids to and through, and they just aren't doing it. 
Um, and, you know, so many times it's us that fall victim. It's us that fall short. It's us that are praying for this turnaround, last chance, at last chance you. And, you know, you already know that as a black man, especially, like, the deck is stacked against you, homie. Um, I feel for the dude that couldn't stop smoking because it could be so many things. That could be anxiety, depression, stress, mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress. Like, you know, we look at it as like, oh, man, you, you're a fool for for being addicted. But, like, yo, what what happens at what trauma is he trying to work through? Because it don't sound mm-hmm. just recreational, you know? And so, no, he tore his meniscus. He had a mm. bad injury. He said that he had a bad injury and he was stressed out. But, again, somebody around him should have been like, we should have got this man in therapy. They didn't care. They just wanted to be like, can right. he play? Yeah. Sports psychologists exist for a reason, right? To help exactly. people through those types of things. Right. And lots of basketball. Yo, shout outs to the Knicks. All jokes aside, I got a Thanks. bunch of homies that are Knicks fans. I'm actually happy for them, yo. Like, I don't like what the Nets are doing. Um, I don't care for the Nets now that they abandoned Jersey. So, you know, I, I would rather the Knicks run New York. If, if a team is going to take over New York, much rather it be the Knicks than the Nets over here trying to build a super team. And forget all about that, man. They the Knicks run today. New York. I don't even know. That's the, a fact. We can, the Knicks, the New, the New York Knicks, the people who like facts, are still the most profitable NBA yeah. team. Which is crazy to me. It's business. Because like right. uh, James Dolan is annoying, but if right. it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because the Knicks yeah. ain't made the playoffs in eight <laughs> years. But everybody want to be at the garden courtside. Yeah. Stop fact. playing with my team. Brooklyn could That's never. Fact. I don't care if you got Jay-Z or whoever. Right. Brooklyn could never, could never. Not and, that ugly Barclays Center, man. That joint look hideous, bro. That's an ugly yeah. stadium, yo. Um, Aliyah, for real, for real, for real, shout out to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, we're we're here at the end. So where can people find you on social media and any like links to work that you've done or any websites that you want to shout out? Great practice. So if you want to find me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at, at arainy88. It's an open page. I'm also on Twitter where I am wild on Twitter. Um, and my Twitter name is Aaliyah D. Rainey. Um, and I did not plug this in the beginning, but I also am a podcaster and I have my own podcast with a good friend that I've grown up with. Her name is Shantaya. My podcast name is The Stop at Central and Halsey. Um, we are on Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. If you want to follow us on the socials, it's on Facebook and Instagram. It's at The Stop at C-N-H. Excuse me, at The Stop the stop at C-H for Central Halsey. Um, and so, Aaliyah, yeah, we at the end. Um, hope you get a chance to enjoy the rest of your day today. Again, I want to just thank you for joining us. I want everyone, I want to thank everybody that listened today. Um, As always, you know, if you have any suggestions or feedback about the podcast, feel free to reach out to me directly. You can also go to the website at thethirdlappodcast.com. And as always, each one, teach one, we all learn together. Uh, Leah, any last words you want to share before we sign out? Mixtape! Don't do that. See, now we can't end on that. 76 is here they come. Y'all already know what it is. Y'all have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. This is your host, Mal Davis. Please visit thethirdlappodcast.com for more information about the podcast, about our guests, and also to see our reading list. You can find us at the Third Lap Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook, at Third Lap on Twitter, and at Third underscore Lap underscore Podcast on Instagram. If you know anyone that would be great to be featured on this show, 
please reach out to our host, Mal Davis. He's always looking for interesting people to learn more about them and to talk about their pathway. Thank you so much again. Have a good one.